Our reading from God's Holy Word this morning comes from Titus, the third chapter. We'll pick up the reading in verse 9 and finish at the very end of our letter this morning. Let's look together. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing." And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your word and especially for the way you've been meeting us in your word through this study of the letter of Titus. We would ask again that you would, by the power of the Spirit, come and help us to see beautifully the wonderful truths that you have for us that both challenge our hearts in convicting ways, but then lead us into the rich comforts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, today you know every heart in this room. You know where we are spiritually coming into this place. We know, Lord, that we're needy of you today in various ways in this room. But those various ways are all met in the Lord Jesus and the power of the gospel. And so above all things today, lift him high in our hearts and our minds and cause us in grace to both worship and follow him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I am saddened in some ways coming to you today because I hate to finish Titus. I've so enjoyed our time in this incredible uh, pastoral letter. I hope you have as well. I sense uh, through testimony and through the time we've shared together outside of Sunday mornings in conversations through emails and text messages about how the Lord has been at work in you through this uh, letter. And I praise God for that. He's been doing the same thing uh, in and through me. Been richly challenged by the way in which the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ is displayed in the letter of Titus and how continuously Paul urges Titus to be a minister of the gospel, to really portion out the truth of God's word in keeping with the consistency of Jesus, his person and work, to every heart that's under Paul's or under Titus's care here in Crete, which is where it is that he's serving, that large island in the Mediterranean Sea. And so we're coming to a conclusion, and like a good teacher, the Apostle Paul is in some ways reiterating uh, many of the things he's already said in the letter, but he's doing so with some punchy commands and some directives. Uh, for uh, Titus to follow, and, and in so doing is actually um, urging, I believe, us to awaken our own hearts today 
to the dangers that are about with regards to the church of Jesus Christ. That there are those who desire to do harm to the body of Christ. And we need to be alerted to that. We need to be aware of that. And he's particularly challenging Titus in this text uh, to be a minister of the gospel who's protecting the church. Who's protecting the church. That's one of the themes I want you to look for as we look at Titus 3 9 through 15 this morning, how it is that the Apostle Paul challenges Titus to be a protector of the church of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. You'll notice that these end greetings, which are just always fascinating with the Apostle Paul as he lists a bunch of names of folks that we don't really you know, know a lot of, about, and then he gives us a few uh, parting commands and always greets us graciously in, in the gospel at the end. He shows us not only does he, in these uh, sort of mannerly, civil instructions kind of at the end of this uh, letter, he's not just being nice uh, or following conventions here. The Apostle Paul is actually urging the promotion or the advancement of the church in these final greetings. So I really want to balance those two things today as we look at Titus 3, 9 through 15, the protection of the church, and then also want you to be alerted to the promotion of the church. Those two things we see in Paul's uh, final instructions here to, uh, to Titus. And so I want to start by, by looking at this notion of protection. Uh, Titus, this pastor in, in Crete, has been called by God to labor for the protection of the church there in, in Crete. And notice the instruction given there in verse, verse 9. He gives very direct, um, Titus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to avoid foolish controversies. As you labor there in Crete, a people who are, as we learned earlier in this letter, a, a people who are uh, prone to immorality and dissipation, um, who are uh, lazy gluttons and liars, this is Paul's own language in chapter 1, uh, a people who are now been, been, as it were, taken in somewhat by the reality of false teaching. Um, I want you to be careful, Titus. Don't get embroiled in all of these foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Here's why. For they are unprofitable and worthless. I think this is really helpful for us, and really a personal challenge here. I know that in some ways in reading the pastoral epistles, Paul is directing his message directly to pastors. So there is a personal element, obviously, for any pastor who's reading this particular text. But for you as a congregation listening to Titus, and I hope this has been clear as we've gone along, you're, by, by seeing what Paul is urging pastors to do, you're actually seeing what the church is supposed to be about. So simultaneously, through that instruction, you're seeing what the church is supposed to be about. And so when we read, hey, Titus, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law for they are unprofitable and, and worthless, we're also hearing that for ourselves. Now, it's very important for that to be true of pastors, because if they get embroiled in controversies and, and uh, divisions and all kinds of struggles on things that aren't worth time and profit, they actually rob from the ministry of the gospel. So it's really important the Apostle Paul urges this upon Titus in the context in which he's in. And so we want to, we want to be aware of that. We want, to be, we want to be aware that we can be prone to um, major on the minors, so to speak, or, or to get lost, so to speak, in, in ancillary um, uh, matters and, and pull them towards the center and really lose sight. A church becomes lopsided in what really should be its emphasis and really what should be its focus in the body of Christ. That's particularly true when ministers fall prey to that. But churches themselves have a tendency uh, to do that. 
So when you hear this language of void, foolish controversies, I don't want you to hear Paul saying to Titus, listen, I don't want you to ever have theological debate. I don't want you to ever discuss scriptural truths. We, we clearly see that Jesus does that, Paul does that, and a lot of other places. He says, but I want you to be careful of foolish controversies. No, just not every controversy. I want you to be careful about foolish controversies. Now, as I think about that language from, from Paul, there's several things that pop up into my mind that I want to spend a few minutes on. And us thinking about a congreg- as, us as a congregation, um, what, does it, what does it mean to have leaders who wisely navigate substantive controversies? That's important. We need leaders to do that. That's going to happen in the body of Christ. And what does it mean to have leaders or a congregation that is becoming embroiled in foolish controversies? Uh, things that aren't worth our time and are unprofitable and, as he says here, are, are worthless. I want to give a couple of what I think are textual indicators, signs that Paul gives us about what it would mean to become embroiled in foolish controversies. All right? Now, I think this is very timely for us in the 21st century, all right? in the context of the bottomless pit dark hole known as the internet. Um, you can easily get caught in all kinds of foolish controversies. Right? You can easily be snookered, so to speak, um, down the rabbit hole and, and get lost. And so one of the things that Paul is, is instructing Titus in here is being able to rightly assess whether something is worth your time or not. Okay, And so one of the things that he's noting here is we know that we're becoming embroiled in foolish controversies, whether this is a minister or a congregation member, when we're giving more of our time and attention to matters with little or no consequence on eternity. When we're giving little to no time on matters of eternity and we're just eaten up with trivial, trivial matters. You see, the word here for controversy in verse 9 could be translated speculations. These are, these are speculations. We've left the truth behind, and we're now sort of in the la-la land of theories and conspiracies, you know? Now, I, I took the first service down this path. I don't know this is a good path. I got advice on this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Today is the Super Bowl, right? You know this. Some have called it the Swifty Bowl, Right? The Taylor Swift Bowl. I was told this week, for instance, by a reputable source that there are people out there in the internet land who believe that Taylor Swift is a witch. Okay, I don't know how that lands with you, just let it sit for a minute. (laughs) Um, Apparently when she sings her smash hit Willow and the Eras Tour, she does some kind of occult practice on the stage. Okay. I can neither affirm nor deny. I know nothing about it. Should I research this? <laughs> Should I waste my time thinking about this subject? The answer is no. The answer is no. It is a foolish controversy. I'm not going to get to the bottom of that anyway, even if I did. And it's going to be some hack somewhere on the internet that I'm going to ultimately land on that is not going to really send me down a profitable direction. Now, notice this, though, about your heart. And this is why I actually use this illustration. Notice how interested you got when I started talking about Taylor Swift as a witch. (laughs) Notice how interested you got. Notice how some of you are like, man, i got to Google this later. (laughs) Don't do that. Like, just don't do it. It's not helpful, right? 
this is the nature of the human heart. The nature of the human heart, there's a proneness, so to speak, to wander into controversies that are foolish, into things that have no eternal consequence, and to brainstorm and use a lot of important gifts and stewardships that the Lord has given to us on things that are fruitless. And he says, Titus, don't do that. Church of Jesus Christ, don't do that. Don't spend your time on things that don't have eternal consequences, have little or, or no significance. It says this is one of the ways that we get into speculative conspiracy theory land. It's not helpful to the work of the gospel and the focus of what the church is really to be all about. I want you to see another, though, aspect of this. How, what's another way we get ensnared in foolish controversies? Well, here, here's, here I think he's showing us in the text. We become foolishly embroiled in controversy when we become as a church or a minister becomes in his ministry more issue-oriented than gospel-oriented. Now, where do I see that in a text? Well, notice the big issues that Paul is addressing here. He says, you know all the rage in, in Crete. It's about genealogies. You're like, okay, that's not a really big 21st century issue, right? But it's a massive deal, probably with this Jewish sect that was there in Crete at the time, and they're quarreling about the law. This is likely chapter 1, the circumcision party, some sect of the Jews who are causing havoc in the church there in Crete. This is their big issue. This means Titus has people within the congregation who are coming to him and saying, you've got to do a Sunday school on genealogies. You've got to do a 10-week sermon series on the minutiae of the law because this is the issue of the day, right? Very often we become so issue-focused, issue-oriented, even around good things, that we have actually lost sight of the thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we see a pastor do this, for instance, his church gets known by the cause or he gets known by the thing he's against, or the, the, the movement that he's for, or the, that one book that he wrote on that topic. And that's all he can talk about. And the church gets formed and shaped by it. Their ministries get oriented towards it. And, and Paul is saying here to Titus, Titus, don't waste your time there. There, there are spiritually speaking gospel issues Eternity that hangs in the balance, souls that need to be, to be saved. There's a congregation that needs to grow in the grace of the truth of the gospel. Don't let these issues rob the gospel ministry. This is how we get embroiled in foolish controversy. And I think he gives us a third one here that I, I think, again, very relevant to us in the 21st century. So, you know, seeing these things, you probably spot, right? This stuff happens. We become foolishly embroiled in controversy when we are more focused on winning either an argument or adherence to our party than we are really caring about the vitality of the church of Jesus Christ. Right? You know how this goes. Notice the person here in verse 10 who stirs up division in the body of Christ. How often does, how often does division come in the body of Christ because we've become very issue-oriented? We've lost sight of the gospel? And the fracturing begins to happen because we only want to now hang out with the birds of the feather that we care about. You know, this happens in small ways in the body of Christ when we become very cliquish about who we'll hang out with in the body of Christ. Right? I only want to hang out with the people who you know, are interested in the issues I'm interested in. You know, have made the same kind of life decisions that I've made. Who are central to the kind of priorities or values that I, I care about. 
It, it often starts out in making these sort of affinity group cliquish decisions and and then it begins to spawn later into division. The, the body of Christ, instead of actually looking at each other through the lens of the gospel, are now looking at each other through the lens of our, our political party, through the lens of our parenting philosophy, through, through the lens of our stewardship thoughts on money. Again, are those important things? Yeah, they are. Does the Bible speak to them? It absolutely does. Are they the center of the church's mission? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And that's where the fracturing begins to happen in the body of Christ, right? So as he's saying, there's people of division within your body that are actually tearing at the, really at the very um, cloth of what the church of Jesus Christ is to be about. And as that's happening, um, you, Titus, need to be on guard. Right? You need to be on guard against that. Church of Jesus Christ, be on guard against that. Be on guard about the things that really capture your attention and fancy that may have actually lost sight of the gospel. And he says, listen, when this kind of division rises up in the body of Christ, your first strategy is avoid it. Isn't that a great, that great instruction? Because what's your first strategy? What's your instinct first strategy? Google it. Get involved in it. Come up with an opinion about it. Speak to it. He says avoid it. I can't tell you how many times someone has said to me, hey, listen, you know, this is happening. You've got to speak to it. And I'll go, we'll see. We'll see if that needs to be spoken to. And in 48 hours, everybody's forgotten it. Why waste your time on that? There's so many much more important things the Lord's given to the church to do. Things that actually last to eternity. Not things that are trending on Twitter. Right? Or X. Or whatever it is now. Right? We need this caution. We need this caution. This is the kind of thing that happens in the body of, of Christ. He says, avoid these controversies now. If, if this false teaching and this divisive spirit in the body of Christ begins to grow or begins to gain some traction, you go and warn the person. I'm not saying avoid it forever if it's an issue in the body. You go and warn them. Warn them a second time. And if they don't in any way repent or conform to the teaching of the truth of God's word, this continues, remove them from the body. He says, don't have anything to do with them. Right? I don't have anything to do with them. The, the language there is actually more formal in its nature. It's a serious issue. They're striking at the peace and the purity of the church. They're, they're leading potentially God's little ones away. Right? We've, it becomes serious. And in those, in those purposes, a formal process needs to be put in place to protect the peace and the purity of the church. Remove the, the word there of have nothing to do with them is the word reject. Recognize this needs to be removed, so to speak, cut out from the body. It's like an infection that if it's not dealt with and treated and cut out is going to destroy the body of Christ, going to destroy the mission of the gospel there. Crete, but what we know about Crete in the ministry of Titus there, he had these issues bubbling up in the body. And so Paul here gives him a strategy, a beautiful pastoral strategy that sounds a lot like Matthew 18. Right? You remember Jesus' instruction in Matthew chapter 18? Where he said, you know, if your brother's offended you or your sister's offended you, go to them in private, speak to them. So that you might recover your brother or your sister. And if they don't listen to you, take two or three witnesses and address them. If they don't listen to you, speak to you, bring it to the church, bring it to the elders of the local body. They'll get involved to move towards repentance because this is critical. It's critical to their soul. It's critical to the peace and the purity of the body. It, doesn't this echo a little bit of that 
structure that Jesus has given to us in Matthew 18? I think intentionally so. I think Paul is, Paul is recognizing that. And, and notice the way he describes this individual. He says they're warped and they're, they're sinful. They're, they're distorted. They've twisted things. They're, they've fallen under a, a spell. There, there's, a, there's a deception that's there. A spiritual deception that's there. And he uses strong language here. They're sinful. They're self-condemned. It's, it's as if to say that their, their path is headed towards condemnation already based on that which they have given their lives over to and what it is that they're claiming. And because of that, now as the church makes its own declaration with regards to the removal of this person from the body of Christ, they're only doing what is already true spiritually. They're already self-condemned. It's very strong language from Paul here as he speaks to Titus. And sobering language. I want you to hear though, as you let that settle on you, I want you to hear the care of the Apostle Paul for the church at Crete. I mean, you know, parents in here, as you think about influences coming within your, your home, think about your children being, being threatened by evil or, or wickedness or, or potentially violence. Would you make steps to remove that from your home and from your family? You absolutely would. Out of, for what reason? Because you love them. That's what Paul is saying here to Titus. Out of love, the ministry must be conducted. You've got to protect yourself from this. You've got to protect the body of of Christ from this. So, so one of the key labors that he ends this note in at this, this letter is to say, they're enemies of the church. Let's not be naive. Sometimes those enemies of the church don't come from the outside, but are growing up from within. They look like sheep, but they bite like wolves. Titus, you have to be wise and savvy in the caring of the body of Christ and know how to handle these circumstances and not get embroiled in them yourself, but instead wisely lead through those controversies for the health and the care of the congregation. So this is not the last thing I want to say to you. I want to lead you not only to the need for the church's protection, I want to teach you about the need for the church's promotion, for its advancement. That's really where he goes in verses 12 to 15 of this text. And I want you, I want you to see the endearing place after this sobering note. Look at the endearing place that the Apostle Paul lands in this letter. When I send Artemis, verse 12, or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. You see this so often in the Apostle Paul. Such care such care both for the body of Christ. Isn't he caring so deeply for Crete throughout this letter? The congregation that Titus has been entrusted to serve, but he's caring for Titus as he cares for Crete. Such love for the body of Christ you see here. But in addition to this, don't you see such love for Titus, this young pastor in the faith? Listen, he has given Titus quite the job description in this letter. If we just stand back and appreciate the, the, what has been laid at Titus' feet, I, I want you to teach sound doctrine. I want you to unfold the beauties of the gospel clearly to the various ages and stages within this body. I want you to put what's in disorder in order by raising up leaders and discipling those various ages and stages. I want you to run off and silence false teachers. I want you to, to demarcate the truth from that which is error. Right now, you should. If you know, again, maybe it's maybe it's the uh, 
Maybe it's the preacher in, in, in me that has a little sympathy for the task of Titus. But, but in the context of this, it's like I'm already tired. I didn't even started. Like I'm not even finished the letter, and I'm already worn out. And Paul says, listen, I'm not going to be far away from you this winter. I'd love for you to come see me. I'm going to send you a couple of servants, Artemis and Tychicus, two of my, two of my key associates, who are probably there with the Apostle Paul when he says, all who are with me greet you. They're probably with Paul. You know, Paul's always with people. Isn't that fascinating? He says, as I write to you, they're, they're with me. I'm going to send them. I'm going to send them so that you can get some rest and be taken care of. I want you to see the heart of the Apostle Paul there is to care for the church of Jesus Christ by, in, by ensuring that gospel ministry and its servants are preserved in the work. Isn't that, isn't that kind of the Apostle Paul? Does Paul want to hang out with Titus? Well, of course he does. They're close friends. He's his true child in the faith. Is that all he wants to do? Paul's a consummate minister. He wants to care for Titus. Now he says, listen, you can't leave Crete without servants, ministers. I'm going to send Artemis or or Tychicus to you. They're going to stand in so that you can come. Make every effort to be with me this winter. And the the call is strong from the Apostle Paul here. He's saying... I want to support you as I support the work of the ministry. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Do you know, one of the the challenges for all of us in the work of ministry is growing weary of doing good. That is why this is constantly cautioned, a reverberating theme that we see in the Scriptures. Don't you find that you get weary of doing good? You get weary of your calling, weary of the task that the Lord's called you you to, weary of doing the things that he's put on your, your plate. Do you need encouragement? Do you need respite? Do you need someone to stand in for a little while so that you can collapse and have someone else take care of you? That's Apostle Paul here. Hey, I'm going to be close to you this winter. I want you to make every effort to come and see me. Spend some time with me. I want to pour into you. Do you remember the notes earlier in the book of Titus? But we need to be a people who are discipling and are being discipled at the same time. I wonder if you followed up on that. Several, several of you told me as you heard that in the sermon from a couple of weeks ago in Titus chapter 2, you're like, we left the church kind of thinking, who are we discipling and who do we need to be discipled? We need to follow up on that. Have you followed up on that yet? This is another encouragement. Paul here is, in, is discipling Titus so that Titus can disciple others. He's given you gifts and stewardships along those lines. So he's doing that. Notice what else he's doing here in this closing. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, verse 13. <laughs> Always got these names at the end of Paul, Paul's letter. And they're actually quite curious. We don't know almost anything about Zenos other than what you see here uh, in, the, in this letter. Um, a lawyer, maybe a Roman lawyer, I don't know. Maybe a, maybe a Hebrew scholar. Um, very quite possibly uh, that that's the case here. Um, then there's Apollos. We, we know something about Apollos, don't we? Apollos had a very fruitful ministry in, in Corinth. Um, a, a young man, a kind of rising star, you might say, in the in the New Testament. And and in this in this ministry that Apollos is given, we're told that he's eloquent in word and he's competent in the scriptures. That's what Acts 18 tells us about Apollos. Notice there with Titus, 
The assumption of this text is, now speed them on their, on their way. Well, you can't do that unless they're with you, right? They're with you. So why, why are they there? Well, more than likely, they're servants of the Apostle Paul who actually delivered the letter of Titus to Titus. Very likely that's the case. Why are they with Paul? Well, because Paul sent them to Titus. They gave Titus the letter. And, and they sent them out as, as two associates of the Apostle Paul. And he says, now speed them on their way. Send, send them all that, that we got more work for them to do. But as they go, listen, support the work of ministry by supporting them. Support the work of ministry by supporting them. Don't leave them without provisions. Don't send them off without, without resources. The, the work of mission is going to take everybody to carry it forward into the generation in which I've called you. You know, it's easy sometimes to look at the New Testament and just say, well, I'm not Paul. I'm not Titus. This really isn't about me. Notice he says, all of you be devoted to good works for the expansion of the mission. Care for Zenos and Apollos because they have needs as they're going out on the field. How is the Lord calling you? Is he calling you to pray? You better believe he is. That's a big part of your work and mission. Is he calling you to give? You better believe he is. He's calling you to give us a huge part of the work of mission. Mission does not go forward without the Lord providing for it. He does that through the gifts and resources of his people. Might he be calling you to go? He might be. But in the context of this passage, you're seeing that the whole church is actually involved in the care of the mission of the church. Isn't that wonderful? He's promoting the advance of the church. He's, promoting, he's encouraging Titus through the church. They're encouraging Zenos and Apollos. And then look at just the sweet benedictions here that we see of the Apostle Paul in verse 15. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Oh, just, just you wonder, don't you? I mean, Paul, how often does the Apostle Paul finish his letters and he uses the language like this? All who are with me send greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace and peace to you all. Now listen, in the first century, you know, paper and ink wasn't, you know, wasn't in copious quantities. Um, every, every square inch of the, of, the, of the papyrus needs to be used. Why does he waste his time like this? Why, why does he use ink and paper on this? Because he's not wasting his time. Notice what he's reminding them here at the end. What does this church need to be reminded of? Well, if there's factionalism and division happening within the body, if there's false teaching that's wrecking havoc in the body, what do they need more than anything at work in this body? They need the grace that's going to actually spur on love and faith. That's what they need. That's what they need more than anything. Notice how the Apostle Paul is training them to view each other. He he says there in that verse, greet those who love us in the faith. Not not those who just love us because they think we have a really cool personality that melds with theirs. They love us in the faith. They love us because we're together unified in Jesus Christ. They love us because we're locking arms in the work of the kingdom. They love us not just because we're really awesome and likable. They love us because together we're unified in Jesus and we're on mission together. Greet those. Extend my love and benedictions and blessings to them. Grace be with you all. You know, that's the final thing the Apostle Paul wants on our lips, isn't it? 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hasn't he throughout this entire letter been urging us in good works and godliness? He has, hasn't he? We've been looking at throughout. Every chapter has, a, has an emphasis in that reality of good works and devoting ourselves to it. And every chapter has unfolded for us the beauty of the gospel simultaneously. And Paul says, the last words I want ringing, so to speak, in your ears as you finish this letter is grace to you all. That's what I want you to know. That, that God has indeed, in Christ Jesus, shed abroad through his love in your heart grace that has been provisioned. No longer is the record of your sin standing against you. And no longer should your old man be that which identifies you. No longer should those sins which have so easily entangled you be the mark of you. But that increasingly the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be conquering you. With the love for Jesus Christ and the love for his people. So much so that you now delight to go on mission and devote yourself to good works. I want the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be ringing in your ears as I conclude this letter of Titus. What a wonderful instruction that is to us. What a wonderful instruction that is to us. Words are meaningful, aren't they? Words matter. How we greet each other, how we bless each other, how we depart from one another, how we look at each other. How different would the people in this room look to you if you saw them with the eyes of grace? What if you considered it, the people around you, all, all sinners who are bearing burdens and are struggling to follow Christ in the best way they know how and are found in Him by grace because they've trusted in Him alone for salvation, but are endeavoring in fits and spurts, falling forward in the Christian life, needing encouragement and support, some of them feeling really discouraged, Others of them really hopeful as they've seen the Lord at work. All of them knowing that they need to have a family and a community walk with them. That the Christian life is hard and it's doubled when we're lonely and alone. What if we actually saw people through the lens of their realities of grace rather than judging them upon external things? The Apostle Paul says he looks at no one now as a natural man. When he looks at the church, he sees them for who Christ has made them to be. You see, that would revolutionize us, wouldn't it? That would, that would change us, wouldn't it? It's really that invitation that Titus is really concluding with. That we're, we're being invited to be a people who don't get fascinated by all the things that the world gets fascinated by. And gets ensnared in all of the traps that are laid for us in a million different ways to waste our attention spans, energy, and resources on. But we have eyes that are set on eternity. We have, a, we, have a, we have eyes that are set on the Lord Jesus Christ in this. And we are committed to giving ourselves to the things that matter most. Friends, I pray that as we move into the weeks and, and years together here, that, that though we close this letter of Titus, let's just, would you... Would it be your prayer that the letter of Titus would never close on us? That, that the word that the Lord has spoken to us in the, the five weeks that we've spent in this letter would be words that would just continue to roar back in our memories and our hearts? That the truth would increasingly 
have a formative impact upon the people who we become, Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. And that increasingly we would be marked as those who are found in Jesus, following Jesus, seeking the protection of the church and the promotion of the church. If that were to happen, it might just be that some salt and light would be scattered about in downtown Franklin. It might just be that something of the kingdom of God would come and we would see more beautifully than ever the fact that Jesus, who right now rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father, is preparing for the day in which He will rule over all of the earth. By God's grace, He might use you and me in this time period that more of the rule of heaven would be marked right here on planet earth. Let's pray to that end right now. Father in heaven, we, we're grateful that you have spoken to us so clearly from this letter of Titus and we would now humbly just simply ask you that as we conclude this letter today, that the work of the Spirit wouldn't end over these teachings, but that we would see in the days and years to come that you have used these and they have become living inside of us. Oh Lord, you know in the various ways that needs to be said and needs to be understood. I commend just your spirit to that work now. Lord, thank you for teaching us so faithfully. And Lord, prepare us now to answer your call. As we finish and press towards the finishing of the race, looking to the author and the perfecter of our faith, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray this in His holy name. Amen.